CoinRobe Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinRobe Plus at CoinRobePlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store. Welcome to the CoinRobe Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. And as I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Welcome to the Coin World Podcast. Glad to have you on board for another great episode we have in store for you here today. Uh, looking forward to uh, entertaining you. Unfortunately, our subject not as pleasant as we like to talk about sometimes, but still very, very necessary. I'm Larry Jewett. And I'm Jeff Stark. And we are, uh, we're going to really delve into a, a subject that's really important. It's something that collectors have to be concerned about and aware of, maybe not freak out about, but uh, that's uh, the specter of counterfeits that are in the market, as well as security and um, the the number of robberies, thefts, that kind of thing, mail fraud. There, There's a lot of stuff going on out there these days that collectors have to be concerned about. And so we got to talk to the expert, Doug Davis, of the Numismatic Crime Information Center and the Anti-Counterfeiting Educational Foundation. So you do uh, need to stick around for that great interview. Doug is always on the front lines of the hobby, serving to protect folks, sort of uh, an unsung hero. We're going to sing his praises, as I just have here, and he'll get to explain what he's doing that's so important in just a little bit. And that'll be coming up, of course, but it's kind of ironic that uh, we also have another Davis involved with us. We've He's been on our uh, program for the past couple, and that, of course, is Steve Davis from Numismatic Auctions, LLC. And we're getting even closer. Uh, I think it's time to bring Steve in here and let him tell you a little bit more about Auction Sale 67 coming up. We're getting closer and closer to the time for... Auction 67 from Numismatic Auctions, LLC. So I know a busy man, Steve Davis, he's here to share what we have coming up. Steve, tell us a little bit about what some of the folks can see for Auction 67. Absolutely, Larry. We have a a wonderful group of ancient to modern world coins featured in this sale. It gives the international collector and the collector of international things uh, an absolute full range of options. We have uh, a fabulous Chinese specialized collection in the sale that includes everything from early cash coinage to the dollar coin issues, which are very popular with collectors in the last 10 or 20 years. Uh, We have a, a sizable array of provincial Chinese dollars, Republic Chinese dollars, as well as minor coins, which are affordable for the collector, but still represent some level of rarity. And the condition range is is all across the map. We have everything from nice, lightly circulated coins to choice uncirculated pieces and everything in between, making the affordability factor there or for the investor to look for the real high-end pieces. For the rest of the world material, we have uh, another collection that's specialized in European coinage, uh, focused on German states and German proper 
as well as a number of other neighboring European countries. And that collection kind of rounds out the, the spectrum of material from that geographical region as well. And we always have really esoteric individual collector coins from every corner of the globe. And that's, that's kind of our specialty. So specialized Chinese, Germanic and, and European coinage, and then a potpourri of, of unusual things from around the globe. Whether it's common or uncommon, your first stop should be at numismaticauctionsllc.com because you're going to find a wide variety, especially in the upcoming Auction 67, because numismatic auctions is where buyers and sellers have connected since 1973. So make sure you check that out. That's Auction 67 from Numismatic Auctions, LLC. Quite the variety there, and you can find out more on their website. But uh, it's always great to have a, a great variety here. But now, shifting our attention, we talked a little bit earlier about security and about counterfeits. And, of course, that's something we're always concerned about. I mean, just this past weekend, as a matter of fact, went to a market, went to a street market, and saw some prices on some items there that simply were too good to be true. And I really, 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 you know, hesitate because it's something we all are driven by the desire to have something to add to our collection, to complete our collection, whatever it may be. But that little voice in the back of my head was saying, wait a minute, if this is that cheap, what's wrong here? You know, buyer beware is uh, is something that comes to mind here. And certainly I think, you know, we see often stories about, unpleasant experiences because it seems like everybody I know has had at least one unpleasant experience. Is that the case with you, Jeff? Yes. And, uh, you know, it got me thinking, um, not too long ago, I had a mail theft, um, you know, it was $300. I mean, it wasn't life altering, but it was sure was annoying. Uh, you, you commented about being on guard for, uh, potential problem uh, that made me think of the saying that um, I believe it was uh, Lee F. Hewitt, founder and editor of the Numismatic Scrapbook. He is credited as saying there is no Santa Claus in numismatics. There is no Santa Claus in numismatics. So, you know, how appropriate we're coming up on the Christmas season. Uh, you know, when our desire for a good deal or desire to make a big score gets the better of us. I mean, it's happened to me. I bought a a, a fake because I thought, oh, maybe this is silver. And that if it was, it would have been a great price, but it wasn't. Um, you know, I think I've told that before the flea market find uh, in the past. So, you know, you always have to be careful. Um, there really is no Santa Claus in numismatics. Um, you know, there's folks who do good for the hobby, but when you're talking about a buying and selling situation, you just have to, to be cautious and, and don't, um, don't cast aspersions on the, the other person, but don't also suspend disbelief and, and get caught up in the moment because it can be costly. Well, and Santa Claus, of course, is known for delivering. And that's another thing that we have to be cautious of, even if we do find ourselves 
purchasing something that is legitimate and uh, get a good price for it or whatever the case may be, there's always some concern about delivery because um, we're seeing a lot of times about how, uh, you know, sometimes there's theft and sometimes there's, you know, you've got to take all kinds of steps to make sure that your your product is protected here. And that's why it makes it so very tough for the people who are legitimate business people. And uh, they have to rely on the good faith of the shipping services and, uh, you know, that the employees are on the up and up. And, you know, sometimes they get victimized when they've done absolutely nothing wrong. And they're just trying to maintain a business. And it's tough enough being a small business these days without the kind of threats that are happening right now. In fact, it just, uh, just so happened that today, I got an email from a gentleman that I purchased a product from in person, legitimate product, and his email's been hacked. And it was a request for money. And, you know, it's just like, okay, you know, fortunately, social media, I found out about it before I saw it. So, but it's just the idea, you've got to be very, very careful these days in delivery of the product and making sure you're protecting the product. If you have a business, you've got to be uh, diligent all the time. If you're at a coin show, you've got to be diligent all the time. You know, security, the, the people who are in charge of security, certainly they have a responsibility, but we have a responsibility as well. We have to do our part so that they can do their part. And I think that's pretty much a fair assessment. Yeah, there's and there's my gosh, there's been a spate of issues of folks that are uh, dealers across the country who have had uh, folks come into their shops and steal stuff right out from under them or uh, things that have been stolen in the mail. So it's definitely something to be aware of and and be concerned about. But let's let's not belabor that point. Uh, We'll have more with the Doug Davis interview in a bit. I mean, I think, you know. It's always good to look back at history and see how the more things change, the more they stay the same. And, uh, you know, when it comes to counterfeiting, there's definitely uh, this week in numismatic history, a uh, an element that uh, there's a through line. Uh, we go back to November 15th, uh, 1986. Uh, many of you listening may have been alive then. Uh, that was when the Bureau of Engraving and Printing's then Assistant Director of Research called the microprinting on series 1987 Federal Reserve Notes the, quote, biggest deterrent to counterfeiting, quote, yet employed on U.S. paper money. And at first I thought, oh, this is too detailed to get involved in. You know, I don't I've never heard of this. Uh, research assistant director, Martin J. Seidel or Seidel. Uh, but it got me thinking, you know, I can remember being a kid riding the school bus and, and, uh, hearing about and talking about these security threads in the paper money. And, um, you know, you could even with a little pin, you could scratch open the thing and pull the thread out. And that was revolutionary for the U.S. at the time, 1986 for Series 87 notes. But my gosh, the amount of security measures, uh, anti-counterfeiting stuff that's in world paper money is uh, far and away, far ahead of what the U.S. uses even today with uh, today's optical variable ink and some other things. Um, So it's just... You know, you, they always have to be one step ahead, if if not more. And that was the case uh, this week in numismatic history back in 1986. 
Wow. I mean, it's so important. And, you know, they're talking about the reissuing of the uh, of the notes in the future and the raised tactile features that we're going to have to have for this uh, for the uh, vision impaired and, and notes are going to be uh, something we'll be hearing about for the next few years for definitely sure. But, uh, you know, it's just the idea, again, security. So very, very important. But uh, let's stick with 1986 and let's see what Coin World was up to in 1986 as well. You got anything for that? Yeah, um, we uh, we stay with uh, 1986 because, as you'll hear from Doug, there was a seminal event in his both career and and um, you know professional career and hobby life uh, that sadly happened in 1986. But uh, the November 12th, 1986 issue of Coin World had news that was very much welcome to the collector community. The headline of this issue. Uh, the main story says first silver American eagles roll off presses. The second deck or, or second head is Adolf Weinman's Walking Liberty design reborn on America's silver bullion dollar. Uh, the story um, you know, was that the, there was a ceremonial first striking at the United States assay office in San Francisco, October 29th. Assay office, you say, well, it was not a mint then. It had been a mint before, and it would later become a mint by law. But by law at that time, it was officially an assay office. That was when the uh, 1986 Silver American Eagles uh, were first, un uh, I don't want to say unveiled, but the, the ceremonial striking happened. And uh, a mint spokesman said one million ounces of the silver coins will be ready when orders for uncirculated versions of the coin are taken November 24. So you're, you're talking, uh, what is that, uh, 36 years ago? Um, carry the one. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, can you imagine a, a coin world without the silver American Eagle? I, I certainly can't. And, um, when you think about all the iterations, all the things that have happened since then, we have a new design now. There's, you know, there was the gold versions and the, all the, the platinum and the palladium and there's changing designs and there's, there's just so much nuance and, and life to be explored in that series. We'll, we'll have to touch upon that series more in the future, perhaps. Uh, but I found that story probably, I figured that would resonate the most. And uh, it was it was the big story of the issue, and it certainly remains true as we're looking back at the issue. Yes, indeed. I mean, and the fact it's 36 years ago. I mean, I'm never unamazed by the idea that you know, 36 years, and my goodness, that was certainly. I mean, a lot of big things happened in '86, and uh, that Coin World covered during that. And of course, uh, we still keep on top of that with our weekly and our monthly issues. Our letters, uh, there were quite a few letters in that issue, but uh, one that is the uh, most lengthy of all the letters seemed to be the more interesting of all of them right there. And that was, uh, it was entitled Helping YNs. And of course, you know, that's a subject near and dear to my heart. So naturally I gravitate toward this letter, but said, I would like to acknowledge Bill Fevas for his article, A Lack of YN Participation in Hobby Disturbing, in the October 15, 1986 edition of Coin World. This is, in my opinion, the biggest problem in numismatics today. 
I am 18 years old and have been collecting coins for nine years. I got started after my uncle, not a collector, gave me about five old coins that were very interesting. So I started buying books on coins and did some research. Like an average nine-year-old, I didn't have much money, if any, to get started. The best way to begin is to take approximately $10 to the bank and ask for rolls of coins. Search for the scarce state in the mid-era coins, and in no time, you'll find something of value. Then, as soon as you're old enough, go out and find a part-time job that won't interfere with your school studies. At 15 years old, I got a part-time job that paid approximately $40 a week. My earnings were either put into my savings account or invested when I had a fair amount into coins. I look back and actually have to laugh because while other kids were buying concert tickets, records, tapes, etc., I was buying coins. What do these kids have today? A concert ticket stub and outdated records and tapes that they're tired of listening to. What do I have? Proof sets from the 1950s to date, silver dollars, gold, and type coins that I'm proud of, and they're substantially increasing in value. The problem is how to get young people interested. I knew while I was growing up, there wasn't really anybody giving me pointers on collecting. Sometimes I found out the hard way, and I was to be the first in my family to be a collector. I guess the way most YNs get started is if their father or mother is a, connect, a collector. It's uniquely opposite in my situation that, that I got my father into collecting coins. Talking to other kids as I was going through school, I found there are many collectors, but they don't seem to be interested in joining clubs like the American Numismatic Association or anything else. Why? I don't know, but they seem to have a fear of something, a fear of constantly getting ripped off by dealers. Of course, I really can't blame them. In fact, out of about 10 to 15 dealers in my immediate area, there are only two that I'd ever do business with. The others, when a kid comes in, actually, they try to rip them off. What we need are professional people going to high schools and give educational talks on numismatics. It is history, after all. Or maybe have seminars, like one for each section of the country. As a 1985 scholarship recipient to the ANA Summer Seminar for the Detection of Counterfeit and Altered Coins, I learned more in that one week than all the years I spent reading books and periodicals. Finally, if all the dealers and collectors would devote the time they're spending complaining about grading and help others in the hobby, they may improve the hobby for my generation and the generations here to come. Now, of course, that letter from Brian Gross of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, that reflects 36 years ago, and some of the things may still hold true here today, but certainly uh, maybe uh, he had some bad experiences with some dealers. Maybe we've had situations like that, but certainly you can't judge one by all. And, uh, you know, the idea of talking about educational talks on numismatics, that was a different time now because certainly the educational system is overburdened with a lot of uh, restrictions and uh, educators can't do as much as they used to be able to do. We've heard uh, in talking to Rich Weaver, the past president of the PNG, about programs they used to have in the schools in the Philadelphia areas that you can't do now. So you got to find ways to make it work. And I know people like the ANA trying to continue to, to get the young numismatists involved. There are many local clubs that have special YN programs. Some even offer scholarships to the uh, ANA summer seminar like Mr. Gross went through back in the mid-80s. So it's just kind of neat to see that uh, some of the attributes, some of the positive attributes of the hobby still remain. Some of the thoughts are still there. And of course, it's always an evolving situation. But that was the letter I found of interest on November 12th of 1986.
Fantastic. So uh, now that you've shared that with me, I think it's time to put you to the test. Go for uh, it. The last episode, we had uh, Ray and Steve Feller on. We talked about camp money. And during the interview, Ray mentioned Crystal City, Texas. According to their book, residents at that camp were paid 10 cents an hour in makeshift money. So I, I asked last time how many denominations were employed there and bonus points for what the range of denominations was. Maybe you can name all X number of uh, denominations in use. What do you think? Well, I was thinking it was like five, but I can't remember what the denominations were. And so I'm thinking like five, 10, 25, 50, and a dollar. Okay. So, so you're five. Your um, really good instincts, five is correct. You said five, 10, 25, 50 a dollar. So yeah. there was five cents, there was 25 cents, and there was a dollar. However, there was also one cent and five dollars. So, oh, yeah, okay, now I remember. Yeah. So, so anyway, very good. Uh, I'll give you, you know, uh, three fourths or, or three-fifths credit, maybe, for that. So, uh, you know, we're talking about security this week with Doug Davis. We'll have that interview in just a second. I got to thinking, I wonder if there was ever a robbery at the U.S. Mint. And what do you know? Turns out there was. So I want you to get your thinking caps on. Doug doesn't talk about this, but Maybe you can tell me, when was there a robbery at the U.S. Mint? When was it? What happened? Uh, how much was taken? So um, this is a fun little bit of trivia and history all rolled into one. Um, let me know what you think, and uh, we'll have the answer not after this interview, but uh, in the next episode. But in the meantime, here's the interview with Doug Davis. The Coin World Podcast is pleased to have Doug Davis with us today of the Numismatic Crime Information Center and also for the ACEF, as we've got a lot of educating that we can do with today's program. But uh, Doug has been very, very busy. Doug, I want to thank you very much for coming on to the Coin World Podcast here today. Well, we appreciate you having me. Thank you. Yep, indeed. With a lot going on right there, I want to start things off, first off, talking about the NCIC. Uh, folks may not be familiar with it. I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about, about how Numismatic Crime Information Center came about, why you started it, and uh, what the uh, what the goal of the organization is. Well, NCIC initially got started back in uh, around 1986 when I investigated a uh, homicide of a coin dealer here in Pantigo, Texas. That was uh, a very good friend of mine, and we did coin shows together on and off. Uh, on a Monday after uh, we got back from a recent coin show, uh, I was called back to the scene at an address that kind of rang a bell in my mind. And sure enough, it was uh, my friend. His name was Bob Rossberg, a uh, coin shop. When I arrived on the scene, the officers advised, uh, Chief, you, you need to be aware it's not it's not a pleasant scene. So we walked inside, walked to the rear of the store, and I found my friend bound to a table at the rear of the shop and shot five times in the back of the head, execution style. And the suspects went off with uh, approximately a quarter of a million dollars worth of coins and currency. 
So during that investigation over the three years, tracking these guys across the country, visiting coin shows across the country, uh, working with other law enforcement agencies, quickly realized that uh, law enforcement didn't have the expertise or the knowledge or knew the resources available that may or may not be out there in regards to investigating crimes related to rare coins, precious metals, uh, counterfeits, etc. So at that time, uh, I developed uh, again the Numismatic Crime Information Center. And the main objectives and goals to NCIC uh, was to pro provide uh, resources to investigate offenses related to rare coins and, and precious metals. Uh, knowing that they, it's a specialized area, uh, if you're not familiar with uh, the coin business, everything, if you've never been <clears throat> called to the scene of a uh, burglary or robbery associated with rare coins and precious metals, then law enforcement is again on the, uh, kind of puts them into a position to where they're, they feel inadequate and, what are, we, what are we talking about when it comes to certain coins that are stolen, et cetera. So basically NCIC was developed to provide those resources uh, to assist them in developing uh, game plans on those offenses once they've occurred and to communicate those offenses to the numismatic community and provide them with up-to-date information on current crimes that are related to, to the industry. And that's kind of where the NCIC has the responsibility because of its creation. But we all have a responsibility here because it's not incumbent upon the NCIC to do all the work here. If there is a crime, then we need to, as members of this community, we need to do our part to assist law enforcement to do their job as well. But I think that the idea of NCIC's keeping us informed of all the things that are happening out there it seems like a lot of them get in the news, especially how big they are sometimes. Is that the case? Is it, Are we starting to see some of the crimes abating or are they picking up? Well, I think after analyzing, evaluating uh, the reports that have come in and seeing some of the uh, incidents that have occurred across the country in the last uh, 90 days, we've seen a tremendous increase in, in, in offenses related. Uh, I think that has a lot to do with the uh, what's going on in the world today in regards to uh, things like the precious metals market, the volatility there, people unsure of what to do with, with their money. Uh, again, people trying to uh, figure out how to, how to make ends meet. And when that tends to happen, then you look at people that uh, are looking for ways to make ends meet, might make them uh, turn to the other side and become uh, more, I, I guess you would say, uh, willing to step on the other side and you know, burglarize and steal to again to make ends meet. And then on the other hand, you have the volatility of the precious metals market and everything, raising red flags to, to individuals that see the opportunity to prey on individuals that are uneducated. And it just and it just keeps going on. But we've definitely seen uh, an increase in area specifically to uh, lately uh, dealers being targeted after going to coin shows uh, across the country and especially right now uh, smaller smaller shows and these dealers are targeted by uh, individuals groups uh, that specifically go out and surveil small 
shows identify dealers that may be uh, easy prey that have driven back and forth, whether they're old or whether they're by themselves or so forth. Um, so they, they become target and uh, we've seen, again, we've seen an increase in those. The other thing we're seeing is even coin shops, the brick and mortars have been uh, targeted by groups such as Chilean gangs on the, on the West Coast where in the middle of the night they're driving through the fronts of shops, leaving stolen cars, jumping out, taking what they can out of showcases or what's left there in the shop, not in the, in the safes, and then taking off. And there are just many as, you know, seven people involved in these, uh, driving two or three cars. So it's well orchestrated. And uh, again, it's occurring uh, over and over during the last 90 days. Along with postal thefts, uh, uh, the list goes on. Yeah. And the thing of it is, it's almost like you, you call it a competition where it's them versus us. And we have a certain amount of responsibility as well to take whatever steps we can to prevent the crime from happening. We're not talking about after the fact as much as it all begins, in my mind, with before the fact. And I think you've taken and made it uh, a clear to individuals who are going to coin shows or have coin shops that there are steps that they can take and diligence they can do to combat these uh, these potential thefts. Well, that's you're, you're exactly right. And I, the most important thing in, in helping solve these type of offenses and help preventing them is, is again, communication between the numismatic industry, uh, precious metals industry, uh, representatives of media such as coin world uh, organizations and everything the more we communicate uh, the more we get the information out as soon as possible after these offenses as soon as we evaluate trends and data that shows an increase in certain areas and certain particular instances whether it's coin shows whether it's uh, residential burglaries whether it's coin shop burglaries uh, traveling gangs or whatever the key in the success to NCIC over the years has been our email crime alert network that puts out current information on things that we are seeing that's being reported to NCIC, getting that information out as quick, quickly as possible, which again raises red flags, which gives everybody the opportunity to address what their risk assessment is from a personal standpoint, going to and from shows or participating in any numismatic event and also coin dealers, brick and mortar operators to again, go back and reevaluate what they can do to help prevent uh, and also participate in providing with, with intelligence and, and data that assist uh, in identifying again, trends that, that we're seeing, especially when we look into the gypsies that have gone from across the country, um, targeting coin shops and everything. And they've done a, uh, they do a real good job. Their MO is basically the same, but they're very good. Uh, they're very mobile. They can go from one state uh, across the country within 24 hours. And being able to, uh, shop owners and dealers who come into contact with these people, uh, inform us the information as soon as possible. We get that information out and we're able to, in some cases, stay one step ahead of them uh, in alerting those dealers. So if they come in or if they see the MO uh, of individuals coming in that meet the same MOs 
ones that have already targeted other stores that have lost thousands of dollars and everything, then uh, we can make arrests, and we've been very successful in that in, in shutting those people down, although they've started back up again within the last 30 days. But again, communication uh, and the networking is the key to being successful. If we're out on a burger, if an officer's out on a burger of a residence or a shop or a dealer that just has gotten hit, if that dealer called us while on the scene, that officer was there, we could we could easily get that information out through our network within minutes, even while they're out on the scene. Uh, that doesn't happen very often, but but it is a possibility. So that's kind of how we. If that's your be on the lookout type thing here, and that social media works in a good way because uh, the, the the bad guys can't use social media. The good guys can. The bad guys do have some technology that they use, and us being aware of what the bad guys have is, you know, is critical. And I think it's common sense can be a big rule here to utilize the technology to your advantage as well. Doug, I'm going to shift gears on you right here because I appreciate all that you've shared with us right now. But a thing that's uh, really important, too, that you're definitely involved with, and that is the uh, counterfeiting side of things. I think uh, newer numismatists uh, sometimes lose a little focus because they get excited about a great price that they can get on what looks like a bargain when it turns out not to be a genuine coin. So you've done a lot of great work on educating regarding counterfeits. Could you talk about that, please? Sure, and I think it's it's critical critical at this point to let everybody uh, know and understand the efforts of the Anti Counterfeiting Educational Foundation and, and the task force that's working uh, to to attack the issue of the mass proliferation of, of counterfeits into the U.S. marketplace. So it's not only uh, is affecting uh, the intellectual property rights of dealers and, and so forth, but it's also creating a problem with the integrity of our monetary system. When you start flooding uh, counterfeits of just about every coin that was minted by the, the, the U.S., and there's major problems, especially newer products that have come out, uh, say, from, from the U.S. Mint. And I can tell you that, um, like you were saying in regards to the individuals that are targeted most often is is for those individuals that are uneducated, uh, or have no expertise or experience with uh, coins or precious metals. And again, like you mentioned before, is is looking for a good deal. And the reason they're looking for a good deal is because of, again, because of volatility of the, the metals market and individuals trying to determine what they want to do with their more money. And they're turning from conventional means of investments to the precious metals and everything because they're worried about exactly what's going to happen in a year or so uh, in regards to where should I put my money? Is it safe in the bank? So forth and so on. As we saw during COVID and everything, you couldn't get into the bank. You couldn't withdraw money. You couldn't walk in, so forth and so on. Uh, and if you didn't have anything put away uh, to barter with, uh, then you had may could have had a had a problem. So now they're looking at precious metals market, the numismatics, uh, coins and everything is a different way to invest. And you become a prime target for those individuals, again, that are preying on um, the uneducated in, in regards to, uh, again, the coins and precious metals market. And when that occurred, 
then we started seeing the Facebook pop-up ads where you could buy a one ounce silver eagle for $19.95. And as everyone knows that no one's gonna sell uh, a one ounce silver eagle in this market for below uh, melt or so the, the list the list goes on. But it's not only just the eagles, it is uh, silver dollars, Morgan silver dollars are one of the biggest that are counterfeited now. Uh, two and a half Indian gold pieces. We have cases working on those that are slabbed. We have counterfeit slabs uh, along with the coins and everything. The counterfeiters have become very good at what they do. The technology increases every day. Uh, and it's not only just the, uh, the novice, uh, some of the uh, collectors uh, and even some dealers are seeing the quality of these coins uh, come through their shops or come, go through their hands that it's even difficult for them to uh, tell the difference. And you have to use different testing methods now, uh, just not the mag magnet test, just not the ping test and so forth to, uh, to, to test for the authentication. Uh, because again, 99%, uh, I can say, uh, they are Chinese counterfeits and the Chinese have done a very good job in every time that we see a flaw that, that identifies a counterfeit, then they're easily able to correct that flaw within days and you see it again back on, on, on the market. So those are some of the kind of the things that we're, we're seeing now. So I would think that because the product that you're talking about here, the vast majority coming in from offshore, it's very difficult to stop the flow of this product from getting into the country. Well, you're exactly right. And I'll give you some examples in, in regards to that. Um, the counterfeiters have figured out that it's easier to send uh, those type of products through uh, small packages and in, in the mail versus uh, in large quantities and everything. And the intelligence that we receive and the reports that we get, we, we analyze those, the data, see where they're coming from, see how they're packaged, uh, seeing how they're getting into, into the US. We've made several purchases on different counterfeit uh, websites and, and currently we are monitoring a little over 300 uh, counterfeit or websites and social media platforms that are selling counterfeit coins. Now we make purchases off of these uh, some of these sites, and what we're seeing is that they're being mailed uh, uh, again in small quantities and everything. When they enter the U.S. and they go through customs and everything, if you look at the label on the front of it, in many cases um, it'll show the description of the contents of the of the package. And we've seen everything from uh, electric parts to uh, metal decorative items to a pillow uh, to lawn uh, equipment, and the list goes on. And, and again, what they're trying to do is just to uh, throw off customs and everything. And in reality, the packages contain six to eight or however many uh, counterfeit coins. Uh, that's one way they're doing it. And then on the Facebook pop-up ads and everything, again, the key to it of it is, is that if the price is too good to be true, then 99% of the time uh, it is, and it's fraudulent. And then you can dissect that website and see exactly uh, the problems that 
that we see from an investigative side is, is that they're using videos, they're using slab pictures of slab coins and everything, but in actuality that you're not getting that coin that you're, you're being, um, that they're advertising, they're showing photos of. You might see a photo of a $8,400 in uh, PCGS MS64, but then what you get in the mail when you order, there's not going to be that. It's just going to be a, uh, a coin in a maybe a generic holder uh, or it comes in a plastic bag, and that happens more, more than the other. So they're using all kinds of different creative marketing techniques within those ads to draw in people that are, again, uneducated. Uh, they don't vet those companies. They don't look into uh, whether or not they are legitimate. They don't evaluate the what is the, the going market price from the, the legitimate companies uh, versus uh, the ones that they're dealing with right now. So that's where they, they come into uh, trouble and make bad purchases. So that kind of just kind of gives you. Has there been any kind of information about the extent of how bad this counterfeiting problem is as far as the economic impact on on our, our economy? Well, I, you know, if you had hard numbers, I'll give you just one example of one case that we did that involved uh, a seizure with the total number of victims at 1,700 victims that had purchased stuff off of the majority of them were Facebook pot pop-up ads. Uh, 99% of it came from, uh, came from China uh, with the results ending in monetary losses uh, in close to four, $4 million. Uh, that was out of just one uh, eight-week targeted program on, on coins and everything with the assistance of Customs and, and Border Protection. Uh, in, in secret service. So that's just one instance and it's occurring, it occurs daily. We get reports daily. Uh, we work closely with Customs and Border Protection Secret Service. And the problem with that is, is that there's not enough people to work that. And that's why we work closely with them by providing experts to authenticate uh, what's being seized. Uh, we assist in, in de developing uh, case plans, what I call it, in other words, is it we're helping them develop the elements to the case so that we can prosecute those that are trying to sell those counterfeits. The key to it of it is, is that finding uh, the counterfeiters, finding uh, the modes of uh, exportation and making sure that it, it's not only just the counterfeiters that are selling it, but organized groups and also individuals that have decided that uh, it was a very lucrative way of buying stuff off of Alibaba.com, AliExpress, et cetera, where you can buy uh, counterfeits, you know, in, in large quantities. But it is, it is having an effect, I believe, on the integrity of our monetary system just because the numbers of victims that we're seeing over and over. And, it, and it's going to continue to increase with the, uh, not knowing what's going to happen in the future in regards to uh, the economics within the U.S.
So uh, we were up against our time right here, Doug. I want to thank you. But before sure. we go, let's talk about economics that we can turn in a positive direction here. How can we as individuals and enthusiasts, how can we assist the ACEF and the NCIC to allow you to have the resources you need to do the job that you have to do here? Um, we, uh, we definitely need to have this organization, these organizations working out here. And uh, it's incumbent upon all of us in the, uh, in the hobby to do what we can to help support you. How can we help? Well, I think the, the, mo the most important thing of it is, 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 is working together, is communicating together, is not only from the numismatic commit, uh, community, but the industry-wide. And without this collaboration, we're not going to be able to to continue this fight in, in the manner that we need. There's not enough uh, agents anywhere that can uh, to be devoted to, to strictly uh, coins, counterfeit coins and, and so forth. Uh, and that's why it needs to be a coordinated effort in, in all those particular, particular areas. Uh, ACEF strictly is, is supported by the numismatic community in, in industry. And without that support, monetary support, uh, you know, we, we can't continue the work that we do. The work that we do basically is, is identifying those issues, providing the resources for Customs Border Protection, for Secret Service and other law enforcement agencies across the country, uh, to be able to have a dedicated resource to come and get assistance in, in regards to counterfeits uh, hitting the market. Law enforcement does not have the expertise, the education, ACEF does. We've got over 100 experts that we provide to, to Customs Border Protection and Secret Services at the time they have a, a case to be able to authenticate those seizures. Uh, and then again, uh, provide them with any information, uh, reports, uh, data, uh, whatever we have, you know, in, in the tools that we use to investigate these type of offenses. So, again, uh, without the monetary support of, of uh, ACEF, uh, we would not be able to continue. It's, it's important. I think it's, it's devastating, uh, potentially, in the future of numismatics and, uh, again, the U.S. monetary system. Doug, I want to thank you for your time today and all the efforts that you've had in the past, present, and in the future. And certainly uh, you have done a, a great deal to help make this hobby more enjoyable for a lot of us. And uh, sometimes you protect us against ourselves, and we definitely do appreciate that. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. I can assure, I can tell you right now that Coin World was a major supporter of NCIC when it started. Uh, and again, y'all have been a great support with ACF uh, now in this major problem that's uh, targeting the numismatic industry. And again, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with y'all today. And that was our interview with Doug Davis, the Numismatic Crime Information Center, as well as the Anti-Counterfeiting Educational Foundation. Certainly got a lot out of that one, too. And of course, you know, we're the ones that can help make this go further. And uh, hopefully everyone does their part to help fight this, because this is a unified situation where everybody can be a big part of that. So find out more information about the NCIC and the ACEF and the task force that goes right along with it. So I well, want to wrap things up here right there. Once again, thanks to Steve Davis and Numismatic Auctions, LLC, for your support of the Coin World podcast. Thanks to you, our listeners 
for contributing your support here. And uh, we look forward to uh, getting back together with you again sometime in the near future. But in the meantime, we encourage you to have fun collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. Coin World Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about Coin World Plus at coinworldplus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store.